Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, Why Do Pets Matter? And today I am so grateful to have my dear friend, Jim Giswaldi, back. He was in podcast two, and I absolutely implore you to go back and listen to podcast two because we're taking this podcast from that podcast. There were two points that Jim and I were going to talk about again. One was the principles of constructive engagement and his enlightenment creed. And so we're going to start there. So if you really want to get the full benefit of this podcast, please go back to podcast two, listen to it first. You will not regret it. And then come here and listen to this one or just listen to this one. It's going to be fabulous. Jim, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Deborah. I always love speaking to you. And I know on the last podcast, we talked about um, the principles of constructive engagement and give us the, I think there are four or five points to constructive engagement that you talked about. Put those out there and then let's talk for a little bit about that. And then I don't want to not have enough time to talk about the Enlightenment Creed, which, you know, I, I want to put in my books, you know, with total credit because it just puts it out there so well on how to have a discussion about animals. Sure. Thanks so much, Deborah. I, want to just provide a little bit of, of context if this is the first time people are hearing about these things. As with a lot of the work I've done in animal law over the last three plus decades, I spend a lot of that working time and uh, my thinking time trying to understand the causes of some of the problems or, or challenges that we encounter. And, and some of those challenges that I'm brought in to help review or resolve. And as with all areas of our, our life, but particularly within animal law, one of the things that can be either an impediment or a great aid in our ability to make things better for animals and the people who care about them and care for them is our own thinking. So a lot of these tools that I've developed for myself or to help people in, let's say the marine mammal or zoological communities where I've done a lot of work or in animal law is to take a step back and think, how can we 
look at a situation in a more empowering fashion where we can be more effective and we can attain greater outcomes for animals. And uh, one of one of the other uh, things that we're not going to necessarily focus on today, but it's a fundamental shift that I've spoken and and written about, uh, and you can find some of those old columns uh, on the uh, San Diego Zoo Global Wildlife Alliance Academy uh, website, where I write a monthly column on getting better all the time on. And and one of the one of the shifts that I talk about is shifting from being right to doing right for animals. And sadly, or in some ways, an opportunity for people in our culture and society today, because I think this goes well beyond animal law, we all, myself included. Uh, get so weighed down by our ego and wanting to be right, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that if we're really looking to serve animals and, and, and people, because the human element, if it's neglected, you may build in more resistance rather than reinforcement of what you're trying to do for animals and advancing their interests, protection, and well-being. So it's, it's that kind of shift. I think that's a, a really simple way to say, you know, shifting from being right to doing right. So in terms of dealing with challenges, um, and, and sometimes we all get mired down into dysfunctional or less than optimal reactions to either bad things that happen or criticism or complaints, um, what, whatever it may be. And so to get to a better state to more effectively discharge our responsibilities to animals, I developed this uh, principles of constructive engagement. And uh, as, as I wrote in the column where I first unveiled this, it, it only took me a quarter of a century to get there. So hopefully this will help some people get to this point a little bit more quickly. Um, I'm a good student, but not a quick learner, I guess. And uh, the elements are as follows, and I will, I'll, I'll read uh, from the column. Uh, one, think about ways in which you can improve and how the situation can be used to help animals. So immediately think about, hey, how, you know, even if this seems like a daunting task, how can I get better? And how can I use this situation, uh, challenge, tragedy, whatever it may be, to help animals? And uh, just by way of explanation, as I, as I wrote at the time, Consciously examining how one can improve and intentionally seeking ways to use the situation to help animals puts you in the best possible frame of mind and with persistence unlocks ideas for improvement. With practice, the ideas and potential improvements just keep getting better. 
Of course, it's helpful to have an accurate and honest sense of the causes underlying the challenge. So that's the first of these five steps. Think about ways in which you can improve and how the situation can be used to help animals. The second, make those ideas even better collaboratively whenever possible and put the best ones into a plan. So take the ideas, apply the Beatles advice in the song, Hey Jude, and make it better collaboratively when possible. The best ideas should be combined into a plan of action. So that's the second step. Make those ideas even better collaboratively whenever possible and put the best ones into a plan. Third, and this is absolutely essential to doing good, take action. Take action collaboratively whenever possible. Act on the ideas or the plan. Make it happen collaboratively if possible. And the emphasis on collaboration is multifold. Collaboration with your colleagues, with people within your organization, because even within an organization, there are different disciplines and professions and vantage points that people have. And you need to, within your groups, within your departments, your teams, and across departments and disciplines, you need to work collaboratively to have the most effective approach to making things better for animals. And that's collaboratively across an organization and up and down from board to volunteer. Yep. And, yep. and collaboratively when you can externally, externally with other stakeholders, whether they be government representatives, first responders, critics, members of the public, members of the media. And some of those you may never be able to work collaboratively with, but to at least think about it and explore it makes you better and stronger and also makes you a more authentic and genuine messenger of the need to be more compassionate towards other living beings that we call animals. And I would dare to say that that compassion and, and empathy should also extend to other people. Um, that's, that's step three, take action collaboratively whenever possible. Step four, keep thoughts and actions based, uh, keeps, keep thoughts and actions focused solely on getting better and helping animals. That's it. We want to be better and we want to help animals. That's why we want to be better. We're not looking for a prize or a pat on the back. We're looking to do the right thing. And, you know, remind yourself of this constantly. Focus on getting better and serving animals. Again, step four, this notion of continuous improvement. Um, we have this tremendous responsibility and this great opportunity to help animals. And the better we become day after day, the more effective, the more lasting the impact um, and the greater the benefits for the animals themselves. So keep thoughts and actions focused solely on getting better and helping animals. 
You know, Jim, I love when you say that because what's coming to my mind is if in fact your thoughts are stuck, if you're stuck and you absolutely cannot um, see anybody else's point of view, I'm sure you agree, take a break, take a breath, take a walk, because that's going back to that one, you know, possible ego piece that we all have because we're in this because we love animals and our egos sometimes get in the way. If you want to um, keep thoughts and actions focused, make sure you don't keep them so focused that you can't explore other points of view. So yeah, Mm -hmm. you're focused, but you want to be able to be collaborative. So yeah, I'm focused, but let me listen to what Jim has to say and be okay if what Jim's saying starts to make sense to you, even though it may be something either you never thought of or, wow, he's putting that in a different way. And I would be against that, except he's putting it in a way that I can really understand. So for me, if you get stuck, if you are really hammering heads, take a break, take a breath, take a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Find, find a way to reorient yourself. And Deborah, your point is especially important in a highly charged situation where you feel overwhelmed, if not demoralized because you're under the microscope and there's so much scrutiny and so much is coming at you that is negative. And and much of that may be negative without any substance or any redeeming value. But don't let that make us lose the potential lessons that may be disguised as criticism. Yep. And the critics or the criticism may not be correct. But if, as you suggest, we listen without ego or attachment to the situation for a moment, because again, we we are responsible, so clearly we're attached. But if we can listen and take a step back, those lessons or those things, hmm, yes, maybe I should look at this element of the problem or the challenge. And maybe there are things I can learn here or make better for the animals because I'm understanding this criticism in a different way. And at the end of the day, if things get better for animals because of your actions, whether inspired by your critics or yourself, it shouldn't matter because we want to make things better for animals. We want yep. to improve their, their lives, their well-being. So, um, but again, some people are afraid that others will play gotcha with them and say, see, we were right, you were wrong, you were bad. And the way to rise above that, and that really is what this, this framework, this paradigm for looking at things is about. It's about rising above. It's about lifting yourself up above where the challenge is so that you can transcend it and improve it. And uh, with that, the fifth and, and again, an, uh, an important step, I, th- I don't think there's any 
unnecessary element of these principles of constructive engagement. But the fifth is be grateful that you can change yourself for the better. And in doing so, help animals. You know, we're all very fortunate to be able to um, use and improve ourselves in order to better serve and help animals. Um, be ever grateful, continuously improve, and make an even greater difference in serving animals and their interests. Again, the fifth step, be grateful that you can change yourself for the better, and in doing so, help animals. And so important. That, that gratitude, again, it just reinforces what I call one's good work and good works. In other words, the substance of the work, that's the good work. And then the good works, because we're, we're working on behalf of animals for a higher purpose. It's, it's part of our calling in, in serving them. So those five steps, Deborah, those are the principles of constructive engagement. And they, they came to me, again, as a tool for dealing with some of these difficult situations I've been brought into where it seems so overwhelming. Wow, how do you, how do you get beyond this? How do you get to a better place? And, and, and make it a better place for, for, for animals. And um, so that's, that's, that was the genesis of that. And I've shared it with people I work with so that they can likewise take that step back and yet rise above. So that's what the principles of constructive engagement are about. And, and again, implicit in there, and ex explicit to an extent is, is the notion of collaboration, which happens internally and externally. And, and internally, it starts with us, where our heart and mind work in harmony because we're working in accordance with our higher values. And internally within our organization, within our teams and organizations, and then externally with other stakeholders. So um, we don't know everything. And I know you and I have absolutely come to um, the realization that we can learn so much from others. And so if we're collaborative, we may have one point of view that if we are internally aware of our positions and become open to hearing other people's positions as a, with a learner's mind, with a beginner's mind, and say, wow, I never thought of it that way. That kind of collaboration really can help move the animal welfare um, project or purpose forward because we're busy going, well, if, if we want this and all they can do is that, and that would move something incrementally closer to where I want it to be, or I think it should be, it's, it, it's, it's a, a, work, a work in progress. And so collaborating and finding a way to listen for understanding and not being reactive, um, and then hoping to have more of a dialogue to learn more 
And I know I found, and I know we've talked about this, you found it as well. When we take the time to listen for understanding and, and really take a minute, we can often say, wow, that wasn't how I understood their position at all. <laughs> and, and wow, this is a lot easier than it's going to be because we're not that far apart when I stopped being reactive and defensive and started just, as you said, it starts with yourself. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to be aware of what you're bringing to the table. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's much wisdom in what you were saying, uh, Deborah, and uh, a couple of uh, things I might add. Um, one is that sometimes it can feel when one is truly open to other people and other points of view. Um, sometimes it could feel that, gee, am I without any grounding that I am so open to other things? Is it that I know nothing um, or have no views or insights of any merit? And, and sometimes that self-doubt creeps in, but it, it's... It's not, I, I, it's not a reason to be doubtful, but it's a reason, again, to realize that one of the core values that I have is I am willing to learn from anyone in any situation, from any perspective, um, as long as there is some constructive value in it. Yep. And... And that informs everything that I do. Um, a second point, Deborah, you you touched upon people and their positions, and oftentimes, and, and sadly, in twenty twenty one, we see this more. Uh, than than, uh, perhaps we can recall ever before, we get really fixated on our hardened positions. And as uh, Larry Suskind and the Consensus Building Institute helped to teach me as I was learning about the mutual gains approach, uh, as a follow-up to participating in the uh, USDA Marine Mammal Negotiated Rulemaking in the mid-1990s. We need to look beyond those positions and explore the commonality of interests that we might have on particular issues or on broader ranges of matters or policy. And it can be astonishing when you peel back the positions and you get to some of the interests. It can also be illuminating because there are truly divergent issues, uh, interests, excuse me. Um, But anyhow, so those were a couple things that came to mind, Deborah. I'm I'm so glad you are just so thoughtful. And I know that I want to um, have you also go through the Enlightenment Creed. For all of those listening, I know you're going to listen to this podcast about three times to get every one of Jim's phenomenal nuggets. 
Um, I'm just trying to sit here and listen. I'm taking notes. But Jim, the Enlightenment Creed was something that I read over and over. Um, we're going to have it in the show notes. It was an article you wrote for the San Diego um, Zoological uh, Magazine, which I probably said incorrectly, but we're going to have the show it in the show notes. Yeah, the San, San Diego Zoo uh, Wildlife Alliance Academy. Uh, yeah. and your and your um, uh, column is called "Getting Better All the Time," which is your and my motto. Every day when we wake yeah. up in the morning, we say, "I just want to be better than I was yesterday." <laughs> yes. Um, uh, for, fortunately for me, there's a lot to work on. So you and I both. <laughs> it, it, it will keep me busy through eternity. Um, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, the the Enlightened Caregivers Creed was something that probably originated after uh, a conversation with one particular client where we were talking about some outreach they were gonna be involved in. And, and I, I, I left that conversation and I thought about it, gee, if, if I was on the front lines, this is how I would look at things. Whether it was a critic or a neutral, observer or whomever, these are the values that I would want them to understand that I was about. And, and I called it an enlightened caregiver's creed. And I have the greatest respect for caregivers. Obviously, you can expand how you view caregivers very broadly in this pandemic age. Um, lots of good folks that we might not have considered frontline uh, or even caregivers in terms of helping us truly are. And uh, so an enlightened caregiver's creed for, for, for people caring for animals and being called to do that. And again, my Focus has been, though it's not limited to the zoological world. Um, that's that's where uh, that's where I started. So, an enlightened caregiver's creed has uh, a few principles, and I will go through them. Uh, one, we appreciate and understand that people are concerned about the well-being of animals, whether in our care in the wild, within other settings, and in, and or in our homes. Two, we share that concern and constructively act upon it every day. Three, we are humbled and grateful for the opportunity to dedicate ourselves to the well-being of the animals and our loving care. Four, while respectful of differences, the one difference we focus on daily is the positive difference we can make in the lives of animals here and everywhere. Five, we thoughtfully consider any reasonable concern and constantly review ongoing developments here and throughout the world so as to continuously improve our service on behalf of animals. And six, we put proactive thinking into good practices as we change and innovate in ways that incorporate the best interest of the animals. And that is 
and enlightened caregivers create a way to look at the world and hopefully look at our service on behalf of animals from a higher or, or the highest vantage point and, and take things like expressions of concern from others to be something, again, that we take into account and we use to get better. And, and, and get better not only in our actions on behalf of animals, but like everything we've discussed today, Deborah, get better in terms of our understanding of animals and, and what makes them each and every one so special and unique and understanding of ourselves and other people um, because it's all, it's all connected. Yeah, I can't even add anything to that because it is all about, first of all, understanding yourself, which is where you start all the time. You start there, I start there. So what am I bringing to the table? What um, thoughts, ideas, perspectives, beliefs am I bringing to the table? And get a good handle on that. And recognize maybe there's somebody at the table who has a thought, perspective, idea um, that's different and be curious. Be curious about why they're different. Be curious about um, how they live their lives that brought them to that understanding. Um, do not condemn them from the get-go because you know, their life was different than yours. Their perspectives are different than yours. And that doesn't mean yours are better, theirs are worse, theirs are better, yours are worse. How can we bring it together, as you said, for the end game, which is for the benefit of the animals? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, and, and believe me, Deborah, sometimes it's, it's hard to either be in conversations or be listening to or reading things that, really challenge your assumptions or some of the work that you've done or been involved with for a long period of time. Uh, it's, it's really hard and sometimes it can be hurtful and, and bruising not just to one's ego, but to one's being itself. And I, I've come to look at that as well, if these are perspectives, whether true or valid or not, if these are perspectives on what I'm doing or what's happening or on a situation, I need to learn them and understand them. And see again if they can be used constructively or not. And um, Again, rise above it, rise above it. Because if we believe in the work we're doing on behalf of animals and believe that we're trying to do the right thing, we should learn and understand as much as we can, as hard as some of it may be, and rise above it and make things better. It's, it is so important. Um, to have that um, curious mind. And a number of times we've talked about this in various areas of the law, um, the animal law um, uh, professional is seen as, as being stuck 
and only seeing it in one um, perspective. And I know you and I have had this conversation over and over again, um, because if you're a lover of animal or you're an animal lawyer, um, being able to talk to someone in a different area of law, say farming, um, say uh, gaming, you know, with racehorses, uh, say, you know, um, I don't know, contracts or divorce and animals are concerned, being able to have that open mind and working toward the what's best for the animal um, is something that could be foreign to our colleagues in the law. It, it could be really foreign because they're looking at the law. And of course, animals in the law are still not seen as sane beings, um, non-human entities. They're not seen that way yet. However, you and I both agree they've come a heck of a long way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so the, the, the law continues to change, not as quickly as some people might like, and maybe too quickly for some other people. And uh, again, uh, I think the law has struggled and strained to make things better for animals uh, while they are still legally classified as, quote, property. Um, I, I look at them as very unique living beings. And in my work, which is centered on the US uh, Federal Animal Welfare Act, um, I try to do as much as possible, even with the limitations of the existing law, to advance their interests, protection, and well being. And sometimes that's done through my writing and ideas. And sometimes it's done through individual situations I'm involved with. And, um, you know, so try to try to make them the most of, of the hand we're dealt right now. Um, and yes, some people in, in the field of animal law, um, and, and this goes for people on, uh, on, on some different perspectives, um, see things only one way. And, in part, that may be because they're very true to what they believe and, and what their perception of things is. And one thing that I've learned through some developments over the last decade or so that I've, I've either been involved in or, or uh, observed is that a fundamental mistake we make with regard to human behavior and animal issues in animal law is there are times when one or more of us or groups of us endeavor to convince one or more people that what they are feeling in the moment is wrong. Right. It is an impossibility. And if you, Deborah, or someone listening to this podcast sees or learns of a situation with animals, that whether it's an accurate portrayal or not, makes them upset and outraged, you may in time be able to explain things to them and they may think about things differently. But too often, we think people's emotional reactions 
can be proven wrong if we disagree with them. And it is impossible because what one feels in the moment that they feel it is real for them. And that's, that example is one of the reasons why, and, and, and some people don't think there's much of a place for this in animal law because animal law should be about the animals. And I'm respectful and mindful of that. But at the end of the day, if we're going to make for change that is good, lasting, and sustainable on behalf of animals, we have to factor in human behavior and the human element. Because if we don't, we risk building resistance and resentment to change that might ultimately undermine it. And that's why when we go to introduce new policies or change laws, it's often as important how we do it and, and how we are going to require or encourage people to do it after a law is enacted or a policy is put in place as the substance of that law or policy, at least in my experience. What's running my head right now is that um, a colleague of mine just for the first time since COVID hit had to uh, take his service animal on an airplane. And the amount of um, new regulations and things that he has to fill out to get his, he's blind, his service dog on an airplane were astronomical. He had to ask his wife to help. So exactly, I loved what you said, you know, the new policies or laws you know, it's important how we do it, um, how we require or encourage people to follow it, but we also have to ask the people who it's, it's being built to protect or the animals is being built to protect whether or not it's really going to do that job or make their lives harder. And without that input, without bringing not only the people who are going to have to use it, who you are trying to protect in to have the conversation, but also bringing people in who, you know, recognize they might've abused the system in um, really having that conversation in a holistic collaborative way. So when you come out with that law, it actually doesn't make it harder for Gary to get on an airplane with his true service dog. Yeah, 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 I mean, the, it is really helpful to understand how things work in the real world. And, and that's one of the reasons why throughout the years, um, I've made a lot more site visits than I might've preferred to do otherwise, because there's no substitute for seeing things and understanding how they work and fit together. And when you do that, and then when you're working, let's say with an organization, 
and you get a better sense of its culture or the gaps in its culture, you can be more effective in counseling that organization to be more sensitive to and protective of the animals. Not that they weren't or that they weren't working in that direction every day, but when you understand the culture, you can help it be so much more effective on behalf of animals. Jim, I could talk to you all day. You know I can. So we are coming up on 45 minutes because I just couldn't stop. I needed to go on. I would love to have you back. We do this and in less than, you know, 85 <laughs> episodes. I'd love to have you back. I know you're very busy. Thank you so much. Um, you are just the best. And from all of us from Why Do Pets Matter, I am so grateful that I have you as a colleague and a friend and really as someone who means so much to me. Thank you so much for being here, Jim. Thank you, Deborah. I enjoyed it as always. And again, I thank you for doing the work that you do, trying to facilitate more constructive dialogue across all kinds of stakeholders. Well, thank you. It's Deborah Hamilton, Hamilton Law Mediation, and the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.